The reading is taken from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verses 15 to 31. In those days, I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing that you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Don't you know our ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my Lord, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days, I saw the men of Judah who had married women from Ashod, Ammon, and Moab, Half of their children spoke the language of Ashod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of these marriages... But was it not because of marriages like these that King Solomon of Israel sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalat the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Remember me, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times, and for first fruits. Remember me with favour, my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Annalisa. Uh, when I uh, texted Sam with the reading for this week, he said, Ooh, that's a spicy reading. I quite like that. Shall we pray as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the scriptures, and we ask that you would come and speak to us now. And uh, we ask as well that the glory of Jesus would be evident and that you would lift him up and he would come and take his rightful place among us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, a few years ago, I found myself wandering along uh, an abandoned beach uh, in uh, Northumberland. And you could see for miles, and I pretty much had the whole uh, beach to myself. It was stunningly beautiful. And uh, I remember a moment when I fell to my knees and cried out to God for his help. Because in that moment, I felt emotionally and spiritually empty. I was a year um, into my training at Vicar School. Uh, I was newly married. And um, on the surface of things, my life looked pretty good. And in many ways, it was good. God had blessed me in incredible ways. But I hadn't been uh, disciplined at keeping proper boundaries in my life, and particularly with taking time to rest. And so I'd been kind of super busy and driven with essays and the requirements of my training, plus doing really amazing uh, placements all over the Northeast. But after a year, my body and my soul were shouting at me, uh, this is not sustainable. And so I found myself on my knees on a beach in Northumberland, um, crying and asking the Lord to help me because I'd come to the end of myself. Now, confession time, I can sometimes be very driven. Are there any other driven types here this morning? I wonder, there's no need to raise your hand. And basically, I realized that while on good days, I knew that my drive was coming from a good place, and that sometimes my, uh, and, you know, it was coming from my love for Jesus and my desire for people to know him and my passion for people to experience the same love that had changed my life. But it wasn't always coming from a good place. And that sometimes my drive was actually coming from, I guess, pain from my past. It's sort of trying to prove to myself, really, that if I just do this or that, then I'll sort of feel like I'm enough. Well, the Lord met with me on that beach in Northumberland in such a powerful way, in that tender and powerful way where you just know it's the Lord. And uh, I remember coming away and thinking and praying to myself, Lord, help me to keep in step with your spirit. Help me to keep boundaries for my life. And that's why the title for today's message is The Benefits of God's Boundaries. Benefits of God's boundaries. And what we see in Nehemiah chapter 13 is Nehemiah laying down uh, God's boundaries for God's people so that they would flourish under his rule and reign. And so in chapters one to six, we see uh, the physical boundaries, the physical wall being built um, around Jerusalem. And in chapters seven to 13, we see the spiritual and the moral boundaries being built. But whether it's the physical or the uh, spiritual boundaries, what we see is that God's boundaries are always contested and challenged. Throughout Nehemiah, we've been seeing how he overcomes obstacle after obstacle to put in place um, real and life-giving boundaries for God's people. And so we've seen Nehemiah's deep grief and repentance in chapter one when he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are burned and are in disrepair. We've seen Nehemiah's incredible prayer life and expectancy 
And we've seen his tenacity to keep building and keep going when uh, Tobiah and Sambalat, his enemies, are scheming to stop him and even kill him. Uh, even when his own people become disillusioned with his vision and can only see the rubble rather than the reality of God's vision and how uh, Nehemiah leads them, as Rupert was putting it a few weeks ago, from what's convenient to what's obedient. We've seen uh, Nehemiah's consistent and godly character turning battles into blessings despite injustice among God's people. And uh, I love Sam's sermon last week, looking at how we can pray um, when we're in great distress. And so as we land in chapter 13 this morning, it's the last chapter of Nehemiah and our last teaching in this preaching series. And what we see is that the physical walls of Jerusalem have been built. They've just finished this kind of huge uh, celebration in chapter 12 with choirs and they dedicate the wall to God and it's this hugely jubilant and joyful scene. But then once again in chapter 13, what we see um, is what Ezra and Nehemiah saw in previous chapters, that the real need of God's people is not primarily a physical wall, a physical boundary, but even more, it's about spiritual boundaries structured around God's grace and purpose. Boundaries structured around God's word and the uh, deep transformation that he alone can bring. And it's teaching that actually, unless those spiritual boundaries are firmly in place, that it's not long until the physical boundaries of our lives come crashing down around us as well. However, when we see the benefits of God's boundaries, the amazing blessings of God's boundaries for our lives, it gives us an incredible incentive to really and actually trust him and to live for him. So let's look at it. So in verse one, it says, in those days, I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. And then he builds up to verse 17 when it says, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? And so Nehemiah lays down keeping Sabbath as one of the key spiritual boundaries for God's people. What is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath at its most basic is a rest day every seven days, but in our sort of modern secular context, this, can, this whole idea of Sabbath can sound very strange and otherworldly. It can give the impression um, almost of a kind of dead and meaningless religious ritual. Nice for those people who need it, but not for us living busy lives in London. But throughout scripture, Sabbath is not simply an empty religious ritual. It's the very thing that energizes absolutely everything else that we do. We tend to say, don't we, when we're going on holiday, oh, I'm, I'm taking a break from work. I'm taking a rest from work. Almost as if work is the kind of dominant thing, the important thing, and rest is this peripheral 
uh, luxurious thing. But for us who are in Christ, for those who know and follow Jesus, the beautiful truth is that we actually work out of our rest. It's rest that informs and energizes our work, not the other way around. And that's as true for the salvation that we enjoy as it is to the living the Christian life. Uh, I absolutely love these verses from Ephesians chapter 2 when the Apostle Paul says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that such stunning grace that God calls us to work out of a place of deep rest and that even when the Bible admonishes us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.12, it always does so on the assumption that only the Holy Spirit can energize obedience that is pleasing to God. And so we can't take credit for anything. It is all God from first to last. And so one of the key benefits, I think, of keeping God's boundary of Sabbath, of keeping a regular pattern of rest, is that it repeatedly grounds us in the truth that we are saved and sanctified by God's grace alone. Now, the ceremonial aspects of keeping uh, the Sabbath have been removed by the death and resurrection of Christ, and praise God for that. You know, we don't have to have the burden that God's people had in those days of worrying about, you know, the minutiae of, am I allowed to buy something on the Sabbath? You know, can I ride this or that donkey, or can I watch television, or these kinds of considerations. We have freedom in Christ to work out all sorts of things in accordance with our conscience when it comes to Sabbath. But the spirit of Sabbath is so important, and God longs for us, I want to submit to you, God longs for us to inhabit rhythms of sustainable rest as an act of trust and loyalty to him. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, uh, the creator of um, emotionally healthy discipleship, a resource I would massively recommend, says, uh, Sabbath is about embracing God's gift of limits. Sabbath is about embracing God's gift of limits. And I think this is another benefit of God's boundary lines for our lives, recognizing that I'm not in control and that I'm not um, omnipotent, that I'm limited in all kinds of ways but also that I'm the child of a God who is utterly trustworthy and therefore I don't need to work all the time. When you know truths like this, it has an immensely um, humanizing and humbling effect. Uh, it's a bit like an image that I saw online that really made me laugh where it says, um, it, basically on one side it's got a picture of a guy who's really tired and he's saying, you know, why is my life so hard? Is this a test from you? Is this an attack from the devil? And then there's a picture of Jesus looking very Jesus-like with a quote next to him saying, you literally just need to turn off your phone, read your Bible and go outside. 
Now, for anyone like me who can sometimes be a professional overthinker, just doing those things can be an expression of Sabbath. Uh, Taking moments of delight in God's creation, enjoying the benefits of keeping God's boundaries. And so Nehemiah stations people around the walls of Jerusalem to enforce the Sabbath for God's people and to ensure that they benefit from God's boundaries. And yet for us, we have something so much better than the threat of jail uh, to help us keep the Sabbath, don't we? Uh, We have the promise of the indwelling of God's spirit, a spirit who uh, yearns over us with jealousy. James chapter four, verse five tells us, a spirit who um, intercedes for us through wordless groans. Romans 8, 26. The same spirit that came to help me on that beach in Northumberland. I love this translation of Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30 from the message. It says this, are you tired, worn out or burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. If you're struggling with emotional burnout, this is the invitation to you. Come to Jesus and receive rest. And actually, even if you're not struggling with emotional burnout, the invitation is the same because actually when we take the Sabbath seriously and practice it consistently, it actually has this power to protect us from burnout later. If we wait, like I did, till we're sort of on the brink of a nervous breakdown, we've waited too long. Now is the time to factor into your life healthy rhythms of rest to keep you strong for the future. But there's another uh, boundary that Nehemiah goes on to lay down for God's people. And the boundary is this really, that God cares about who we invite into our intimate circle of relationships, and particularly in this passage, um, who we marry, and the benefits of choosing those people wisely. So in verse 23, it says, "Um, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now, it's really easy to read this and think, well, this just sounds like appalling racism. You know, you're not allowed to marry people from other nations. It just sounds like racism and sexism on steroids, doesn't it? But actually, the text goes on to tell us that God's problem with these marriages wasn't about race or gender. It was the spiritual allegiances of the people that they were marrying. So starting at verse 26, it says... Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was, what? Even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you two are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God? That's the thing he's focusing on. Unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women. And so do you see what it's saying? It's saying that when God's people married people from other nations, um, these people would also bring with them their idols. 
And suddenly there would be this temptation and tension between worshipping the living God and worshipping idols. And what we see is that the people are even forgetting um, how to speak Hebrew, uh, the very language that the law and the Old Testament was written in. Now, it's important to pause at this point and to just recognise where we are in the history of the Bible. This, is, this story happens under the Old Covenant, um, and under the Old Covenant, uh, God chose a specific people uh, to have specific moral, uh, ritual, and ethnic boundaries for a limited period of time, and that God called these specific people to showcase his glory to the rest of the world. That was God's vision for his people in the Old Testament. Under the new covenant in Christ, the old ritualistic and um, ethnic boundaries to God's people have been abolished. I love this from uh, later in Ephesians chapter 2, describing how God has destroyed the barrier between Jew and Gentile. And Gentile is just a summary for everybody who's not um, Jewish. It says, um, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two and thus making peace. And so for us in the new covenant, God welcomes people of every nation and background to know him and to enjoy him. And that is crucial to understanding where we are in the history of redemption, as it were. And so if all of this is true, what, what relevance does Nehemiah chapter 13 even have to us then? What, what, what about these warnings about the dangers of intermarriage? Well, I think that this is God's word, and I think it's in there for a reason and that there are things that we can take from it, that while the ethnic boundaries to God's people have been removed in Christ, the spiritual boundaries between those who know and love the Lord and those who don't is very real. There are very real benefits to be had by inviting the right people into our intimate circle of relationships, whether that's marriage or, in fact, close, our close circle of friends. But the converse is also true, that there are very real dangers to inviting the wrong people or people who don't know and love the Lord into our intimate circle of relationships. Now, we all like to think, don't we, that we're in control and that we can decide for ourselves how we live and how we are influenced. But the reality is that we're shaped by the people around us for good or for for ill far more than we might like to admit. And having the humility to acknowledge and admit that is really important. And to help us do that, Nehemiah talks about the story of Solomon. Now, Solomon, we're told, was the wisest person on the planet. And yet we're told in this chapter that he married people with the wrong spiritual allegiances And even he, the wisest person on the planet, was led astray because of that. The teaching seems fairly clear, doesn't it? That it isn't God's will for his people to initiate marriages with people who don't know and love him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, the Apostle Paul says this about it. He says, 
A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But, and here's the line that I really want to, you to hear. But he must belong to the Lord. He must belong to the Lord. Now, this isn't teaching that if for whatever reason you're already married to someone who doesn't know the Lord, that there isn't grace available to you. If that is you, we believe uh, in a God of grace who can give you strength to live for Jesus in that relationship. But whatever your situation is, how are you inviting, who are you inviting, beg your pardon, into your intimate circle of relationships? Because there are so many benefits to be had to keeping God's boundaries in our relationships, to have a strong network of Christian relationships in your life. Now, I do want to be clear. I'm not, you know, saying we can't be friends with non-Christians. That would be a kind of crazy extremism, wasn't it? But it is about taking stock of who is feeding into your life. And if you do sense, you know, gosh, I do actually want and need more Christian input in my life, well, come along to those summer central gatherings that Sam and I are running starting on the 19th of July in the church, uh, starting at seven o'clock. A big part of those gatherings is going to be social and giving people opportunities to build up relationships with other Christians. And for me, this applies to me as, as much as it does to anyone. I couldn't do what I do without the prayer and the encouragement and the support that I get from Nikki, my wife, the fact that we can pray for each other, encourage each other, and speak God's truth to each other is absolutely foundational to our relationship. Or I think of um, a good friend of mine uh, called Alid, uh, who's uh, been involved in a church plant out in Sweden. And that relationship means so much to me because we can pray for each other and sharpen each other up. And there are so many relationships like that where it's good and healthy, I think, to acknowledge to ourselves, gosh, you know, following Jesus would be so much lonelier and miserable without these people in my life. Now, I started by saying that today's message is about the benefits of God's boundaries. And the thing that I really want to say is that God's boundaries are always for our good and for our benefit. When the, when the Lord urges us, as we were hearing earlier, to take Sabbath and to rest, when the Lord urges us to do life with people who know and love him, he isn't sort of being capricious or controlling when he does that. He's showing us the path of life. And you can trust that if you put him first in your life, he will provide you with everything else that you need. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, didn't he? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. That is a promise that you can absolutely trust. And friends, remember, that, remember this as I finish, that Jesus Christ kept God's boundaries and obeyed God's law on our behalf and in our place, even to the point of dying an agonizing death on the cross. And he did that so that all of the benefits he has as God's son could be credited to us. 
so that when we mess it up and don't keep his boundaries, and let's face it, we all do it, I do it, that he picks us up, that he stands us back on our feet, and that he forgives and commissions us. And like he said to me back on that beach in Northumberland, he says, you can trust me with your life, and there is grace for you today to resolve, to keep my boundaries for your life. Let's pray as, we, as I finish. Father, we thank you for the beautiful benefits you promise us when we keep your boundaries and help us to remember to rest. Help us to be wise with who we do life with. And Lord, we just want to take this moment to say that we belong to you. And by your spirit, we want to do whatever you're calling us to do. And we want to thank you for your amazing grace in sending Jesus to die for us. And please strengthen us to stand in his grace today and to follow your leading for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.